everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Happy Thursday. Jake Shapiro, Rachel V. Hall hanging out with you as the Avs get an overtime winner last night in Game 4. We're going to get into that, but some semi-Bronco-related breaking news, I guess, in a very far-off distance way, is Archie Manning just committed to the University of Texas. And Jake and I, before we got live, were thinking about how cool would it be to have Peyton Manning and Eli Manning be your uncles, Jake? They're honestly like personality wise, probably the perfect uncles with the way they joke, right? Like you have two uncles that have hosted Saturday Night Live. Like, that's awesome. I mean, obviously the football stuff, but like, I'm sure that Arch Manning, you know, is probably just now starting to reap the benefits of some of like the high level football stuff. But most of his life, it's like, wow, my uncle Peyton, my uncle Eli, what jokesters. Gosh, I would love to go to a family dinner with all of them. But we'll get into the Avalanche talk now. Because the Stanley Cup final game five is tomorrow night. Jake, it feels like this playoff series has been going on for forever. And I don't know if that's because we saw the first loss on the road for the Avs or what it was. But I'm so ready for tomorrow night because it could all be over. They could hoist the Stanley Cup tomorrow night in Denver at Ball Arena. The Avalanche, and I wrote this in my story last night have not clinched a playoff series of any kind in Denver since 2008. Um, the city, Friday night, Stanley Cup, in, in the Mile High City, like, this has the potential to be the craziest Friday night in the history of Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm not sure people are ready for this. Um, I was kind of driving around yesterday. Uh, I took some people to the watch party, and they came back uh later at night and, and hung out with me as i was writing up the post game and stuff and they're like jake you, you don't even understand how crazy it was and it was a wednesday night and they didn't even win the cup like the, the city is just on fire right now people are all about this team like and nazim kadri like i don't know man like i know the abs don't have any statues and joe sakic is obviously first in line but Build a damn statue, Nazem Kadri, because that guy is awesome. Like, how could you not love Nazem Kadri after this playoff run? There is not amount of money that you could pay Nazem Kadri that would be too much. Like, you could give him thirty million dollars a year when the salary cap's like sixty, and I'd say, good deal, you brought him back. And next year, people are going to be mad because you paid him too much, and I'd be like, he's here, I don't care. <laughs> We'll take it. We want to know where are all of you going to be watching Game 5. I know so many people are going out in Denver. They're going to McGregor Square, Tivoli Square, uh, you know, watching from home maybe. So let us know in the comments how you're planning to watch Game 5 in hopes that the Avs can hoist the Stanley Cup. But speaking of Rachel, watch it with me, Will, and James at number 38 with the rest of Denver fan and 104.3 the fan. Yes, so true. Head on out to number 38 and Rhino tomorrow night. You can see Will Peterson, James Marlott, Jake Shapiro, and a ton of other fan hosts. I will be down at Ball Arena trying to give you as much inside access as I possibly can for hopefully a really, really exciting night. Now, we're trying not to get ahead of ourselves. I know it's kind of hard because it's this close, everybody. But let's go back to last night, too, because Nathan Padre totally didn't even realize that he scored the overtime game winner. Watch.
I love it because literally he doesn't even realize it until I think some other people started screaming. It's in baby and his reaction is just priceless. Honestly, I'm so happy for him. As somebody who has gone through what he did in the Blue Series, to obviously getting hurt in the Oilers Series, and then to come back and have such a big moment and such a big impact for this team, I'm really happy for Nazem Kadri. Yeah, you saw Rachel. He goes hands-on knees, hands-on stick, and and he he was skating back like he was getting ready for a line change. He, he, he was over with that shift, and I knew it was right in right away. We had a good angle on TV, a better angle than the broadcast team did. Uh, Sportsnet, who actually took that video and, and, and has the Canadian broadcast, was the only broadcast team that knew it was in right away. Um, so if, if you listen to the Sportsnet call, it's the best call because it's like, Kadri scores. Well, did he? But maybe not. And, you know, kind of reminiscent mm-hmm. a, a little bit of that Patrick Kane goal in the 2010 Stanley Cup final to win it. Um, and, you know, I think we had one goal earlier in the playoffs that was like that with the Avs, too. Uh, it just goes to show you sometimes these things happen and it's crazy because the puck does get lost in hockey. You know, you might be watching going, how, how do they know where the puck is? It's moving so fast. I can't track it. They need to find a, and, and the funny thing is sometimes the players don't know where the puck is either. They, they just kind of guess based on like where the scheme is and like other things. And I could tell you as someone who played hockey my whole life, like I would say about 50% of the time, I'm not actually watching where the puck is. So uh, you're, you're, you're going based on position. You're going based on, you know, you know, where you might think you're supposed to be and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's funny in that situation and obviously got a huge goalie in Vasilevsky. So it could very easily get lost in him, but instead it was lost in the four by six and you love to see it. Uh, But yeah, uh, Kadri, one thing I noticed on that goal and that angle that we saw a lot of people said, hey, Steven Stamco stole that puck because he actually mm-hmm. took it out of the net last night. Well, if you watch the end of that video, Andrew Cogliano skates back and takes that puck. So that puck is now with Aval- with the Avalanche, and I assume either with Kadri or, or the team's historian, and will be a part of the team's history instead of stolen by Steven Stamco. So you, you get to skate free Steven Stamkos this time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Maria says, we were asking each other, did it go in? And she said, yes, it's in. We were all so excited. The reaction videos I've seen all over social media were so funny too. It's everybody being like, what the heck happens? And then you realize that it actually is in it. It's a huge celebration. We love to see all of those types of videos. But after the game ended, after the players left the ice, when the press conferences began, started a little bit of quote unquote drama, I guess you could say. And Jonathan Cooper had a few words for the media. Let's take a listen. But it just, it just, this one's, this one's going to sting much more than others just because I think it was taken on, it was potentially, I don't know. It's hard for me. This is going to be hard for me to speak. I'm going to have to speak. I'll speak with you tomorrow. You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. And I, my heart breaks for the players because we probably still should be playing. Um, I'll be available tomorrow. I'm being so bad about my mute button today, but we he took a lot of people by surprise when he walked out and it kind of caused this whole stir of well, what actually happened? What are we talking about? And what he was alluding to was that there were too many men on the av- or on the ice for the avalanche. So now if you actually take a look at the picture of when Kadri gets the puck, you'll notice that actually both teams had too many men on the ice and it's kind of interesting that of course John Cooper he's devastated obviously for 
a lot of reasons. That's a tough loss to do, but they both have too many men on the ice. And how many times, Jake, does that happen over and over again when there's honestly too many men on the ice when they're doing line changes? Yeah, so here's something I think to keep in mind in, in how cyclical hockey is. Um, the Avalanche were amazing in that overtime, and they were constantly in the lightning zone. The shift right before the Kadri goal, the Avalanche hemmed the lightning in. It was a long shift, uh, a long shift uh, of about uh, you know a minute and a half, which guys are only normally on the ice for 45 seconds. Both teams' players were extremely tired. The lightning hoisted the puck out just to get it out. Darcy Kemper comes screaming out of his net to play the puck up to Arturi Lekkinen, who plays it up to Nazem Kadri, mid-line change for both of these teams. Normally in hockey, you'd like to get a line change while you have one four-checker and the puck's deep in the other team's zone. The Lightning just needed to get off. It was also the first overtime period, which means it's a longer change. You have to skate to the far bench rather than the near bench for the Lightning. So the Lightning in all reality, should not have been even changing in that situation. And Nazem Kadri shouldn't have scored. But because of the ship, the shift before, they needed to get off the ice because all their players were dead tired. So while this chaotic line change is happening for the Lightning and also a little bit for the Avs because they're now take, trying to take advantage of the Lightning's crazy line change by mm-hmm. getting fresh bodies out on the ice, you know, that's when Kemper finds Lekkanen and Lekkanen finds Kadri. So... That's all happening behind the play as Kadri enters the zone on two lightning defensive players. I could not tell you how many players were on the ice for either team. I could tell you it was more than, than five skaters aside for both teams. It might've been six. It might've been seven, you know, heck it might've even been eight at one point. The rule in hockey for too many men is essentially you have to be within five feet of the net, uh, five feet of the bench and be getting off the ice immediately. And you can't have the puck hit or be a part of either of the play of either guy getting on or off the ice when they're both on the ice at the same time in that brief moment when one guy's on and one guy's coming off. So the way to explain this is essentially it's a discretionary call between the referees. So yes, did the avalanche have too many people on the ice? Probably. Did the Lightning have too many people on the ice? Probably. Did it impact the play? Not really, which means that it is not a too many men penalty. However, there is some discretion in the rule because you can very clearly see that the Avalanche did not follow that five foot rule, which means they went a little early on that line change, which makes the case for too many men. But that's like saying some cheap hooking penalty should have been called in overtime of game four of the Stanley cup. It's a very ticky tacky call. And I would have been shocked to see something like that called. Now there was also on that play, uh, one of the avalanche players almost nearly high sticked the puck or almost did on the puck coming back towards um, um, uh, uh, Darcy Kemper when the puck was originally cleared after that long change and Mm -hmm. the refs did not rule it a high stick. The Avs were the first team to touch the puck after they had maybe touched it with a high stick. And if they had done so, it should have been an automatic whistle and the play should have been over. Um, So there are two different like ticky tacky rule things that really didn't impact the play Mm -hmm. that could have been called. And I understand John Cooper going sour grapes because trust me, if this was my team, I would be devastated. And I would be looking for any sort of out saying, hey, this didn't happen. There's no way I'd be in denial. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Now for the two-time reigning Stanley Cup champion head coach to play it like that? Come on, man. We're still talking about this. The national story is, oh, the, the lightning got robbed. Maybe did the lightning get robbed? Oh, I think the lightning got robbed. Instead of the abs went into Tampa, took one of the two games that they needed to take, and now they've got a chance to win the Stanley Cup in game five after two great overtime wins and one dominating blowout. Honestly, it's been shocking to me to see how much this entire broadcast situation for all of them seems to just be all about Tampa Bay. I understand it's about creating a dynasty. That's a huge storyline right there. But even in like last night's game before overtime, they were showing all of the like last second goals for Tampa Bay. And I was like, what about the avalanche? How many times have they scored an OT or had a last second goal? And they never, they never showed any of those goals. East Coast bias. I mean, we're used to it as well, sports fans. Uh, aside from the East Coast bias, yeah, I mean, they're the two-time reigning champs. Every single player on their team has a very uh, recognizable name. Mm-hmm. Um, I was counting this with my brother, who's the biggest hockey fan I know. We came up with the – I think the Lightning have six or seven bonafide, like, grade-A Hall of Fame players and and a coach if you count the coach it's six or seven i mean between if you add Corey perry and then like you think maybe Braden point gets there one day but that's not even counting point i mean victor hedman steven samkos uh nikita kucherov like this team is just loaded andre vasilevsky so these are huge names but it's funny because you ask any of the tampa bay people or bathroom becky uh any of these questions and you would think that the Tampa Bay lightning and their fans have a little bit of a persecution complex and they think that the, the abs are being favorited. So I think this is just general sports fan take of, you know, my team isn't getting enough love and, you know, unless it's like 80, 20 swinging in your way, which it was like the nuggets Warriors series with the warriors getting all that love, which was absolutely ridiculous. Like I, I don't think any team's actually going to be happy with the way the commentators are. I mean, just you know just give give us the hometown guys you know just give us just give me dmac in the booth you know would love that okay well you mentioned bathroom becky yeah this is quite the superstition um you know i i'm for it right i have my boyfriend he puts on his um, jersey or his sweater right before a third period because he feels like they always are gonna win then and this lady named Becky, she has a big superstition. And Jake, we're going to watch the video. And then I want to ask you if you would be willing to pay this much to hang out next to the bathroom. I'm trying to find it, Rachel. No, you are good. We had a lot of stuff. We're talking a lot of basketball too after this, but Becky, she's, she's one of a kind, man. I I can't believe this. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the superstitions I, I, you know, is like a classic superstition in sports is not stepping Mm -hmm. over the lines and one of the things I noticed on the Kadri goal is if you see the reverse angle from behind Darcy Kemper, uh-huh. Darcy Kemper actually jumps over his own blue line before he jumps into the celebration uh, mm-hmm. for the goal. So I, 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 after the show is over, please don't leave us. Go watch the reverse angle of Darcy getting all excited. He jumps over the blue line. Baseball mm-hmm. players always jump over the foul line before uh, coming out. You know, I, the, the playoff beard. I mean, find a way. I've got the playoff mustache. Everyone's got their own uh, superstitions. And it, it, the, the DMAC finding bathroom Becky one is pretty hilarious uh, with, the, with this lady who just stands outside the bathroom all day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, Rachel, what's your biggest sports superstition? Do you have one as a fan? Did you have one when you were, were an athlete? 
Honestly, I'm trying to think, and I don't think I, I don't think I do. And I don't think I have one as an athlete either. I'm trying really hard to think. Please let us know in the comments if you have any superstitions. I would love to know about them because I think they are still really funny. But I promise we are going to get to Bathroom Becky here in a second. But I want to give a shout out to DMAC too because not only is he traveling in Tampa and doing all the things that he does and he's so amazing, but he finds these little stories for us which just make it so much more entertaining. And DMAC is not afraid to go up to anyone and ask them any questions. And I absolutely love that about him. He celebrated his birthday yesterday. We were super excited. It is Andrew Mason's birthday today too. So make sure you share some love with him. But, you know, there's just so many cool things that DMAC has been able to do while he's been traveling, Jake. Yeah. And I think we're a little jealous of him. Uh, you know, when, when I see DMAC in the pool for his birthday before a Stanley Cup final game, I get a little jealous. But man, that guy deserves it. And I'm happy for that guy getting to, you know, watch an awesome Stanley Cup final game with a game winner uh, for his birthday. And then Andrew Mason, the poor Tampa Bay Lightning fan who hasn't who hasn't seen success in all of 11 months. Uh, so sad for his birthday. Uh, but and, and he'll remind us. It's a little easier when you've won two in a row. Okay, Mace. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, we're going to continue to give it to Mace because, you know, uh, he's the lone wolf on this one. But, yeah, you know, I think about all these sports superstitions, uh, Rachel, and, and, you know, uh, there's always those that come out this time of year. You know, you remember with the San Francisco Giants a couple of years ago, the players mm-hmm. were wearing thongs on the field, I think, uh, underneath their uniforms, and it became a big thing at their parade. Uh I think uh, Michael Jordan used to wear a North Carolina shirt under his Bulls jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, th- there are all these guys that do these things. And, you know, I, I, whatever kind of helps you get that edge, right? Like, whatever helps you lock you in. And, you know, Nikola Jokic does one, too. And I, I don't think people really realize this. His wedding ring to his wife, he actually wears on his shoe. So, yeah. when he laces up his shoe, he has his wedding ring. And I'm like, wow, that would be an expensive loss if, you know, his shoe came untied or, or, you know, you got to stop play because everyone in the the fan, the the fans got to search for it. So, uh, yeah, everyone's got these different little superstitions and Mm -hmm. uh, bathroom Becky, I think may be the worst, worst one I've ever seen. Uh, Because if I bought a a thousand dollar ticket to a Stanley Cup final game, I would not be sitting uh, next to the bathroom. No, 100%. Jake, whatever you have that video, but Mark says, don't say the word shut out when someone has one going until the game is over. That's his superstition. Yeah, no, that's probably one too that I, I definitely do discuss in my head. I might be thinking, oh, are we getting close to a shutout? But you don't say it because you're right. You could jinx that one. People used to get really mad at me as a baseball writer when I would say that someone has a no hitter going on or a perfect game. Um, here's the thing. I'm not on the field. I'm not necessarily a fan of the team. It is my job to inform the fans what is going on. And if you're a fan just sitting at home, maybe checking Twitter, don't have the game on, and you see Jake Shapiro tweets, hey, Herman Marquez has a no-hitter through six innings, you're going to turn the game on. I I helped you there. Like, I'm not trying to hurt the team or hurt the performance. I'm just trying to make sure the fans see this awesome moment, unlike bathroom Becky, who who misses all these awesome moments while she's standing next to the bathroom. Yeah, this is my bathroom, Becky. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. So how do you think things are going to go for you tonight? Oh, we got to win. I'm 8-0 so far in the bathroom in the playoffs at home. So are you really? I am. 
Are you seriously going to stand here all I, day? The whole time. The whole time. It just is a funny thing. makes people laugh, and, and it works. So I've got a lot of pressure on me right now. All right. How many fans are asking for your autograph for coming up to you? Um, I'm in the bathroom during the game, and I run away during intermission. So I don't really – I'm not here when the fans are here. But How many people are telling you you're crazy bathroom that um, game? Crazy in love with the Bulls. You're, you're here for a Stanley Cup game and you're seriously not going to watch the game. I'm not. I have a ticket. I paid for it and I will be at this bathroom the whole game. Okay, that is the... Are these your relatives? <laughs> That's my daughter and my husband. <laughs> What's going to happen with the ticket? She's crazy. So we got family in town and she's going to be in the bathroom. It's just how it works. She's 8-0, no, man. 8-0. 8-0, no. no, man. Is, she, is your mom nuts? You're by the bathroom. Go and the Bolts. Go Bolts. <laughs> Sorry, I know, I know, I know. All right, Becky, we'll see. So you're All guaranteeing right, we'll a win. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Becky, 8 1. Nine, yeah, eight, she doesn't have to go in there anymore. She doesn't though. have to go to the bathroom anymore. Wisely. She was secretly rooting for the Bolts to win this whole time so she could stop spending three hours in the bathroom. I still can't get over that. That's one of the best stories that I've ever heard. I love it. But the NBA draft is going to be happening tonight. The Nuggets have two first-round picks, number 21 and number 30, and our very own Jake Shapiro. He's got you covered on all the things that you need to know about tonight, who you need to be on the look for. But let's start with what the Nuggets need, first of all, in this draft, Jake, hit me. Yeah, I think it became pretty clear in that Golden State Warriors series. The Nuggets needed more perimeter defense. They let guards like Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, year after year kind of go off. And they need to get better on the perimeter. That's where the NBA is won and lost in the playoffs. So I would start there. And, and there's a pretty, pretty clear spot to upgrade that. And that's at the shooting guard position where Will Barton has kind of struggled. Uh, but there, there are other needs as well. And Number two for me would be a backup center. The Nuggets have gone two years, three years now since Mason Plumlee left with a revolving door of, of back, backup centers, whether that be Jamichael Green, Zeke Naji, and, you know, at the very end of last year, DeMarcus Cousins figured that out. But I don't know that DeMarcus Cousins is going to come back in free agency, which means they might need to draft one tonight. And then the third one's kind of interesting because this is the Nuggets' strongest position, backup point guard. The Nuggets have... Jamal Murray, obviously, is their starter. And then Bones Highland and Monte Morris, who were great last year. Um, but that begs the question, do you need both of them? And can you trade one of them to upgrade elsewhere on the roster? And if you do so, you're still going to need a third string point guard because we've seen how much, you know, Facundo Campazzo and Bones Highland have played over the last few years. So, yeah, the Nuggets need a third string point guard if they do indeed trade Monte Morris, which is the rumor right now going around, Rachel. Yeah, it would be interesting. I would be a little bummed. I kind of started in my sports broadcasting journey on the day Monte Morris got drafted for his introductory press conference. So I feel like I've got an emotional connection to him just because it was kind of the start of all of this for me. But if you do see Monte leaving, who could possibly be a good fit, do you think? Yeah, Monte leaving leads me to think that there's a couple good fits in the draft. I, I think they would go after a veteran point guard, one that they could kind of count on. 
um, to fill in the gaps. There's also a rumor that just popped up last night after we sent all these slides, of course, um, that the Nuggets would go after the, and I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'm not, but he was the top EuroLeague point guard last year and he won EuroLeague MVP and he's a fellow Serbian and Nikola Jokic and him are friends. And there's a chance that the Nuggets would trade, I think Oklahoma City has his draft rights, would trade for his draft rights and uh, sign him this offseason. But uh, right now, the more likely path is a backup point guard through the draft. And there's a couple names even on my list. And my one of my favorite guys that the Nuggets could draft, and he kind of fills that backup point guard spot and kind of doesn't, is Jalen Williams. Uh, Jalen Williams from, from Santa Clara. He can play guard. He can play wing. He's one of those guys that started out as a point guard, grew a couple inches in college, and now he's more of a wing. But he has some of that playmaking ability uh, people think he could be a good defender later on in his career. Right now, it's playmaking, really good catch-and-shoot player. And uh, I kind of think of him similar to Bones in a lot of ways. I think he spent three years in college. He's a good shooter. Uh, he's got very long wingspan. He's got big hands. Uh, so he's a really interesting prospect for me. Okay, I like it. I like it. Who else is sticking out to you? Uh, well, kind of in the same arena where he was kind of a point guard, kind of not. Dalen Terry from Arizona. Uh, he could be a backup point guard. You see, he got four assists last year for one of the best teams in the country at Arizona. He's quick, long, active. He's a very fun player to watch. He's terrific on defense. He was an all Pac-12 defensive team. Um, and he would be more of a defensive point guard, kind of like that Pat Beverly type, except he's not six foot tall. He's six foot seven and very long. And he kind of helps the Nuggets in two of those three needs, right, Rachel? The the backup point guard, the third string point guard, and perimeter defense. And he could slot in and play wing or guard. So I think that's really big when you watch that uh, Warrior Celtics series. You see all the versatility that was needed for those two teams. Do you think he may have entered into the draft a little early? Uh, you know, Dalen Terry only scored eight points per game last year. So, so there is that question. Uh, and, you know, with Arizona, it's tough because you say, hey, well, maybe next year you get more playing time but they bring in just a good recruits next year. So mm-hmm. I, I say when you're at a school like that, you kind of got to get out as quick as you can and you're going to get better as an NBA prospect, even sitting on the bench or in the G league, than you probably will in college at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dalen Terry probably would be a higher draft pick if he was used more, which he was not at Arizona because they had so many great players, kind of like, you know, Benedict Matherin, who's going to go in the top 15 of this draft as well. Okay. Any other players that you really think Nuggets fans should buy into and make sure they pay attention for their name this um, tonight? Yeah, this is my top guy in the draft, and this is who I would love the Nuggets to draft. His name is Tari Eason. He went to LSU. He actually came off the bench. He was sixth man of the year at LSU. He was an extremely productive two-way player. Uh, his three-point shot was pretty good for how big his size is, and he would fill the Nuggets' role of, of needing more perimeter defense. He played center at LSU, but he was also leading their press. It was a really unique player, uh, and he, he, he does so many different things on the basketball court. He doesn't have all the fine tunings of his game. I think he's only spent two years in college and one of them was a transfer year to LSU. Um, so he, he has some more project needed, but 
especially if the Nuggets are to trade Jeff Green, who just opted into his player option. He would be a great backup four man for the Nuggets, and he could also probably size down to play the three or even size up and play a small ball five. Um, and all these six, eight ultra defensive guys are very valuable around the league. You think of Draymond Green, you think of Robert Williams. So mm-hmm. that's the way the league is going. I think Tari Eason has one of the highest potentials in this draft as a defensive player. And I'm at the point with the Nuggets where I think they should just go after defense in the draft. I don't necessarily care about the offense. I say that as Jalen Williams is on my board, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, they need to go after defense. And I hope that one of their two picks is really honed in on defense. Now, and I know your next question, Rachel, is, Jake, do you expect them to take both of those picks? I don't. Um, I think that they're probably going to move back into the second round with one of those two picks. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them use one of those two picks to package with a Monte Morris or a Will Barton to trade and get an established NBA player. Okay, I like it. I like it. Well, there's two Colorado players that attended college in Colorado State and CU. In case you didn't know, Jake is a Buff fan. I'm a Ram fan. So these are one of those things that we disagree on. But David Roddy decided to stay in the NBA draft. Where do you see him possibly going? Roddy uh, is really interesting. And you got the Nuggets logo next to him, which is great because the Nuggets love him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would not be surprised if the Nuggets traded back a couple picks into the second round and drafted David Roddy. They love Roddy. um, But either way, Roddy's probably going to go somewhere between 35 and 45. He's going to get picked. Um, And he is one of the players, even as a buff guy, I'm rooting for so hard because I love unique basketball players. And Roddy is a 6'6", big-bodied wing who scores like crazy. I could see him becoming a good defender. He just plays the game very differently than most people and I think is very fun to watch. Uh, So I would love to see Roddy make it. All right. Tell me about your CU buff guy. Jabari Walker, unlike David Roddy, is probably not going to get drafted. Um, But he was terrific in Boulder, he was one of the Pac-12 Player of the Year candidates. He led the conference in double-doubles. Uh, he's a really good shooter, son of a, a former NBA player, Samari Walker. Uh, he led the Buffs to the tournament uh, as a, a kind of the second man to McKinley Wright two years ago as a freshman. And Walker stayed in the draft. He probably would be a first-round pick if he stayed one more year in Boulder. But he's going early. He wants to focus in on that development. And uh, he's going to get signed by a team probably to a two-way contract as a G League guy. But uh, Jabari Walker will be in the NBA one day, as, and, and he has the potential to be a very valuable role player again as a 6'8", big-bodied wing with a good three-point shot. That's, that's needed across the league, and it's turning out to be – I mean, the league right now, Rachel, is get one point guard that's about 6'4", 6'3", that's very good and can shoot, and a bunch of guys that are 6'7", 6'8", that can just play any position on defense. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Any other names that you think people need to pay attention to tonight as the draft starts rolling? Yeah, there's a couple night uh, uh, names to pay attention to, Rachel, uh, especially from the Nuggets perspective. Uh, Marjan Bochamp is a guy the Nuggets love in this draft. Mark Williams would fill in that backup center role. I love him. I think he would be a good pick from Duke. Nikola Jovic, that would be very fun. He also plays a little bit to Danilo Gallinari. Kendall Brown is the best athlete in the draft. And then Wendell Moore Jr., uh, that Duke team in general was so, so talented that it's kind of hard to figure out what who, which player can do what and how they're going to project at the next level. Uh, mm-hmm. Wendell Moore was a top prospect coming out of high school, and he was a really good wing, kind of just filled in 
at his job at Duke, but I could see him being a pretty good player in the NBA. And uh, he worked out for the Nuggets. So all those guys, I think all those guys worked out for the Nuggets, except maybe Mark Williams. So those are guys the Nuggets have uh, publicly targeted. Um, another name that I didn't include on there that I actually like that would be a possible second round pick if the Nuggets uh, traded back would be Christian Coloco, who is Dylan, T- Dylan Terry's t- teammate at Arizona. Coloco was the best shot blocker in the country last year. So I know I'm just throwing out names at you right now, but hopefully maybe you think about it a little bit and they stick out to you when you see them later tonight. So uh, when you go to your NBA draft watch party, you can sound like you know something. <laughs> no, exactly. That's what we hope. You can all learn something here on Coffee Break. Now, Nikola Jovic, not Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jovic. Is there any possibility of ha- possibly having a Jovic and a Jokic actually on the Denver Nuggets together? I think the ESPN ringer and athletic, and maybe there's one other mock. So out of the four major mocks, I think two of the four as of today have him going to the Nuggets. Wow. Um so there's a pretty good chance Nikola Jovic ends up a Nugget, which is really funny, especially when you consider that one of the other guys that the Nuggets are mocked to in another one of these mock drafts is Michael Foster Jr. So they could have Michael Porter Jr., Michael Foster Jr., Nikola Jokic, and Nikola Jovic all on the team. Oh, my goodness. Well, that would make for a very difficult time for broadcasters because that's a lot of very similar names right there. Uh, We did get a question from Troy, and it says, do you have any idea if Berkey will be available for Game 5? We have not heard anything, but make sure you stay tuned to all of 104.3 Fan social pages. We'll update you as soon as we hear anything. You can also check DenverFan.com again for any news that you're looking for. We're pretty good about getting everything up as speedy quick as we possibly can. But we're excited for Game 5 tomorrow night. And if you've ever wondered, what's it like to go to the facilities for an NBA draft and hang out with the team as they're doing everything? Jake and I are going to be down there at Ball Arena tonight in the media workroom. We're going to give you a behind-the-scenes look. I'll be doing it in the sports office blog, so you can check out that full entire thing tomorrow afternoon. But Jake, as always, love hanging out with you. To everybody that tuned in today, thank you so much. We'll begin, or we will be back again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m., as we prepare for Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final. Bye, everybody. See you in a few hours, Rachel.